morning. It is really wonderful to be back here and to see all of you. It's like a family reunion. Uh, being home, well, Milan is home now, but San Diego also feels like home, and we're not really sure where home is. We're all pilgrims on the way, right? But to see your smiling faces and to see so many of you with whom we spent uh, a good portion of our lives is truly a blessing to us, and it's an honor to be here with you to worship our God and to spend time together. Uh, would you turn with me this morning to Exodus chapter 16, Exodus chapter 16. At home in Milan right now, we're going through the book of Exodus, and I will preach in English this morning. I asked Reverend Godfrey if he wouldn't mind leading the service. I'll be honest, I was nervous about leading the service, even though we did it here for, I did, served here for many years. Um, it feels a bit like an obstacle course trying to cross your languages together, and, but I think we'll be okay this morning, and we won't be too Pentecostal. Uh, <laughs> Exodus chapter 16, I'll read the entire chapter. They set out from Elim. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as, as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather, each, gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much 
had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside to the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name, called its name manna. It was like coriander seed. White, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be brought throughout your generations, so that, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an, om- an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is the tenth part of an ephah. So far the reading of God's holy word. Well, this scene, it's probably familiar to most of us, should give hope to anyone who struggles with ingratitude. This story really should give hope to anyone who tends to be negative and critical at times, who finds it easy to complain about all that is wrong with life instead of celebrating and being grateful for all that is good and right. And at times that describes all of us, right? What do we see in this scene? We see a gracious God providing for his people, treating them far better than they deserve. And if you've read the Old Testament, you you know that Israel had this problem of complaining and grumbling, right? We sometimes call the book of Numbers the book of grumblers because that's all they seem to do through the wilderness. And even though they had been given so much, even though they had seen the wonders of the Lord, it was really an expression of their ingratitude toward God for his goodness and mercy and their lack of faith that he would bring to pass the the promises that he had made to them. And yet the story of Israel in so many ways, as we know, is our story. We find ourselves in this story. We are like the Israelites, not only ready to murmur and complain about all that is wrong with our lives and slow to appreciate God's goodness 
and mercy toward us. But we're also on the way. Uh, We really are going to our true homeland, the new heavens and the new earth. And we too, right now in the new covenant, we are treated far better than we deserve. We too receive bread from heaven. And today, loved ones, today, Christ you are seeing, the same God who gave manna to the Israelites in the wilderness thousands of years ago, opens up the windows of heaven and gives us bread, gives us nourishment for our souls. The kind of nourishment that can transform our ingratitude to gratitude, that can transform our lament to praise. And that's good news for us. Uh, Let's think about the story here. The the first thing we, we see is Israel's protest, Israel's complaining. From the last verse of chapter 15, we know that Israel had camped in this place called Elim, And they were refreshed there by the the fresh water, water that was hard to find in the desert. They were able to find some uh, refreshment in the cool shade of the palm trees. And it was a restful place. It was a beautiful place. But it wasn't a permanent place. It was only a resting stop, like, uh, you know, a rest stop on the highway when you need to use the facilities and get a bite to eat, get some water. It wasn't permanent. It was only temporary. They were only to be there for a little while as God was leading them on the way to the promised land. And not only that, but their journey, as we know, was not only physically, physically going from uh, uh, Egypt to Canaan, but it was also spiritual in the sense that it was something that reflects the Christian life. This is why the New Testament tells us that Uh, The pilgrimage of Israel is really applied to us. The New Testament calls us sojourners and pilgrims and foreigners. It calls us people who are living in exile. Uh, Israel's journey through the desert foreshadows the journey of the church in this age that we live in. That is the present evil age. This earth is not our home. Ultimately, it's neither San Diego or Milan that is our home but the new heavens and the new earth, which is one of the reasons we find satisfaction so difficult in this life. We long for something more, for something better. And and as with Israel, we need to remember that during our journey, the Lord graciously offers us moments of refreshment, places like Elim. He causes us to rest in green pastures, just as we sing in Psalm 23. He leads us beside cool waters from time to time. Uh, But he also calls us to continue our journey. He calls us to persevere through the desert, which is a place of testing, a place of spiritual growth. He's preparing us for the age to come. The history of Israel is really our history, loved ones. And tragically, we we are guilty of the same evil of which Israel was guilty. Uh, Like Israel, we, we do. We often grumble and complain about the circumstances that God has arranged in our life, whether they are small, like I need a new car, or they are big, like the doctor just gave me some very bad news. Uh, Whatever they are, we have the same problem 
in which we often complain. Listen to Israel's protest in verses 2 and 3. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? These are the same people that saw the Red Sea opened. The same people that saw Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, toppled and his army conquered. Uh, These are the same people that saw God bring down the ten plagues upon the most powerful nation on earth that liberated them from slavery. And it's come to this. You've just brought us out here to kill us, to starve us and cause us to die of thirst. And this is often what murmuring does, what complaining does to us. It it messes with our brains. It it distorts our vision and and, and our memory. And and often when when we murmur about our present circumstances, we imagine the past as better than it really was. As if there were hardly any problems at all. We forget the slavery. We forget the crack of the whip. We forget the difficult things. We seem to only remember the good things from the past when we complain about the present. And like the Israelites, our hearts are often ungrateful and often blind to God's mercy and and grace in the present, in the moment. We complain about our work, our homes, our spouses, our children, our church. Almost everything. And in reality, murmuring and grumbling are just a manifestation of ingratitude and frustration with God. Each of us knows what it means to be irritated by circumstances when things don't go as we planned. Uh, Life in a world that has fallen and broken and distorted by sin, it's full of disappointment, full of dissatisfaction. Life in the desert, in the wilderness, is not easy. And yet, isn't it interesting that God wants us to bring our protest and our complaints to Him? I mean, this is what the Psalms are all about. The Psalms, so many of them are laments and complaints, but they're directed to the Lord as a child going to His Father, going to Daddy asking for help. But often what we do, instead of going to the Lord and complaining to Him in prayer, we find it easier to complain to others. And this is what we're seeing in the mirror of Israel here. We find ourselves complaining more than praying. Faith brings complaints to God. Sin, however, murmurs to others. And it ultimately creates division and strengthens discontent, as it did in Israel. And when our whole attitude really becomes a murmur, uh, well, we are in effect disappointed and dissatisfied with God, not so much with our circumstances. And it ultimately robs us of our joy, as we know. It ignores all of God's promises for the future and all that is right, pure, and lovely in the present. It's the opposite of faith. 
And as we, we hear these things and as we look at the sin of Israel, uh, we, we probably find the weight of our own sin. I know I do. I often find myself complaining and, and murmuring about my own circumstances uh, rather than going to the Lord. And often it, what it really comes down to is thinking, well, if I were God, I would have worked this out differently. If I were in charge, surely there are, <laughs> this is the path that we should be on. And often what happens is when we are ungrateful, we are at our worst. We're at our worst. But we're not God. I'm not God. Thank God I'm not God. Because we only end up expressing our impatience with God and his providence when we think we are God or want to be God, when in fact he is sovereign and all-knowing and wise and loving and good and gracious. And we don't want to lose sight of the blessings that he has given us. He's forgiven our sins and given us eternal life. We deserve his anger and judgment, and instead he has showed us grace. And that brings us to the next thing, is God's provision. There's Israel's protest, but boy, there is God's provision in this passage. Because once again, we see that the Lord is rich in mercy and full of goodness. He's not lacking in these things. Even though the Israelites murmured against Moses and were ungrateful, God still satisfied their need. Four times this passage mentions that the Lord heard their murmurs in verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 12. After all those grievances, perhaps we can expect the Lord to come down in judgment and to wipe them out. Say, that's it, that's enough. I'm pulling the car over. We're done here. But he didn't. He didn't come down in consuming fire and destroy Israel. Instead, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And and the Lord said in verse 12, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God could have judged them right then and there, but instead he showed them mercy. Mercy is not receiving the judgment that we deserve. Mercy is being let off the hook. Mercy is a beautiful thing. Judgment is getting what we do deserve. And grace even goes one step further. It's getting a good thing that we didn't deserve. God would have been justified if he had destroyed them because their murmuring was only a manifestation of unbelief and ingratitude. But the Lord didn't deliver them from Pharaoh and bring them out into the wilderness just to have them die of famine. And he didn't rescue us and redeem us just to let us die in the wilderness. No, the Lord provides for his people and he provides for their needs. What did he do here? He gave them quail in the evening and manna in the morning. This small round-like substance that was miraculous that they could go out and gather It was out there six days and enough to carry them over on the Sabbath so they would learn to trust the Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And they would have enough. And they could live this beautiful rhythm of six and one that God instituted in creation. And of course, as we read, some of them failed the test. Some of them didn't trust the Lord and went out on the Sabbath day and still uh, collected tried to collect manna 
or they've tried to store some away. When Moses said, don't do that, just, there'll be enough the next day. Trust the Lord, and it bred worms and stank. And boy, we see ourselves in this, don't we? Failing to believe the Lord and all he has promised. And however, the Lord continued to provide for them. He didn't stop providing for them. He's full of mercy. Your God, loved ones, is full of mercy, rich in mercy, and full of goodness. Your God, the God you pray to, is a merciful God, a gracious God. And he's a God who has revealed himself in that way to us, hasn't he? Loved ones, think how many times you have prayed to the Lord and asked him for something. And he, del- and he gave. How many times do we pray, give us this day our daily bread, as we prayed together this morning? And there's lunch. There's dinner. There's food on the table. Yes, he uses all those means, or your job to earn money, and all the people that grow the food, all those things in his providence that bring it there, but it's ultimately the Lord and his sovereignty and his care that does it. God is a gracious God. And we receive food, work, sun, rain, family. He gives us so many things. Every good thing, every perfect gift that comes down from above is from the Father, the Father of lights. Even if we are undeserving and murmuring and complaining like the Israelites, even though we have often shaken our fists at the Lord in some way, or murmured more than we've prayed. Yet the Lord continues to bless us. Even though we may be upset that he didn't fulfill our wish list. He still provided for us, didn't he? Time and time again. Even if we weren't always grateful. He still supported our lives, didn't he? He provides for you day after day. Just as he did with the Israelites in the wilderness. But more importantly, he's provided for your greatest need. Through his son. And this is really what we want to think about when we come to this passage. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's take a look at John chapter 6. Because as we know, as Augustine said, the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. And oh, how important it is to remember how all of the Bible ultimately speaks of Jesus Christ. And so many of our neighbors and loved ones and family and friends don't realize that. They think the book is just, the Bible is just a moral book, a code that helps us be better people, when in fact it, it's bread from heaven that speaks to our greatest need. And it all speaks about one thing God redeeming a people for himself through Jesus Christ. And here in John chapter 6, we hear the words of Jesus. And notice the way that Jesus interprets. Exodus 16, and the scene with the manna from heaven. And this scene here in John 6 occurred after the miracle of Jesus multiplying the bread and and the fish to feed 5,000 men. And after that, obviously, Jesus was very popular because you could get a better life following him. You could get a free meal, which was important in the ancient world. A lot of people started following him just for that reason. And to them, Jesus replied in verse 26 of John chapter 6. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, 
but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on, for on Him, God the Father has set His seal. And then take a look at verse 30. So Jesus said to them, then, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is talking about even a greater need than getting lunch. Something that satisfies the longing of our soul. Something that reaches that place that is so restless all the time in this life. Something, the only thing, that can ultimately transform our discontent into gratitude and our lament into praise. The Lord showed that He is the bread of heaven. As human beings, you know, we have a lot of legitimate needs. Food and water and clothing, shelter, family, friends, work. We need these things for life. And God gives them to us. But there is a need that is much greater than all of these. We need God himself, not just his blessings. We need him. Because we were made by him and for him. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. And that is only possible through Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here today. That's what all of this is about. It's about Jesus. There's no other good bread that we enjoy in this life, whether it's food, family, friends, work, our health, our hobbies, whatever it may be. There is nothing that, like the living bread that has come down from heaven, the Son of God, the one who has given himself for us and continues to love us to the very end. All the other breads in this life, no matter how good they are, are temporary. They come and they go. Whether it's health or relationships or jobs, or they come and they go like the tide. But not Jesus. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The living bread that came down from heaven. Only that has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Christ, who knew no sin, became sin so that we could become God's righteousness in him, the living bread. And that's what's offered to us today, the true bread. No other bread that we enjoy in this life can do for us what Christ has done. And that's why Jesus tells us in John chapter 6, verse 53, He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up 
on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. What a beautiful promise that we are given by the true bread of life. Christ, with his crucified body and shed blood, as we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, feeds and nourishes our souls to eternal life just as we receive from the hand of the minister and taste with our mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord, which are given to us as emblems of the body and blood of Christ. And today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are true partakers of the true body and the true blood in heaven. All his sufferings and his obedience are ours, just as, as if we had suffered and fulfilled everything ourselves in our own person. That's the promise. Only the bread of heaven can do that. And so the question this morning is, do we know that bread? Do we feast on that bread? Do we know the Savior? Do we know Jesus? Have you received the living bread that has come down from heaven and is offered to you today? Oh, feast on him, Christ you are seeing. And continue to feast on him as you travel through the wilderness. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you are so gracious to us and patient with us, even as we murmur and complain, as, even as we fail so many times. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to not focus on all that is wrong in life, in our opinion, but Lord, to remember all the things that are honorable, right, and pure, and lovely, and are good. Help us, O oh Lord, we pray, to have eyes fixed on Jesus, Strengthen our faith in Him and our hope in heaven, our, our true homeland. And strengthen our love, we pray, for you and for others. Cause us to decrease and Christ to increase in us. And cause us to rejoice today as we come to the table with joy and gratitude because the living bread from heaven is available for us once again. We ask all this in Jesus' name.